Holy Bunches of Worship Serial, because it is all about you. (laughs) Well, I don't know what your worship experience has been, but for me, I feel like I've been worshiping God my whole life. And it began back in West Texas at First Baptist Church of Odessa and and I remember um, standing behind the pew and holding on to that and getting my hymnal out and, and singing praises to God. In fact, I wanted to show you a picture of myself back in the day. Um, look at this. Look at this guy, man. Woo! Let's go. I got my, my silk shirt on. I got the, I have hair, everybody. I got hairs parted. It was looking, looking sharp. That's what worship was Kind of the, the beginning for me was, was at that time. And I remember, you know, having, singing the, the soprano line when it came to the, uh, the, the hymnal, the main line, and something happened later on in life, and all of a sudden I could sing the bass line. And I, you could do the little extra parts, the little tags at the end. It's like, yes, I've arrived. Finally a man, right? And that's kind of how I felt about uh, my, my, my time of worship. And for me, worship was surprisingly really sweet growing up. And I can equate it to like having a birthday cake. And you get to just bite into that cake and it's sweet and you love it. That's what worship has been for me. But, but I wonder if for some of us that worship really hasn't been that sweet, that it's not like cake, but more often than not, it's like a, a kale beet salad. Anybody going to eat a kale beet salad later on today? Anybody? No? No? No takers? Why is that? Because that's bland and gross and kind of tasteless. And I wonder if at times in our lives or in seasons that we've had, that worship for us has been kind of like that, that it's been kind of boring, or it just may be a waste of time for us. Or you might say, you know what, Clayton, I am just not a singer. Anybody that's a terrible singer in this room? Okay, anybody? Yeah, y'all are all great singers. All right, y'all going to prove it here in a little bit. Okay, all right, see some of y'all. Yeah, sometimes we're like, hey, that's just not my thing. Like, I just don't sing. God didn't gift me that way. And, you know, if you don't sing good, don't sing, right? And so some of us, that's kind of our, our idea of what worship really is when it comes to being together. Last week, we talked about how worship is actually more than just the time we spend here. That worship is, it's more than just music. It's a lifestyle. And we're supposed to worship God um, with our lives. And that is actually called private worship. Not just singing in private, but what you do outside of being together um, in a corporate worship experience. That is your, your private worship throughout the week. And if you're taking notes today, here's a great way to start the message It's with this statement that your private worship, it feeds your public worship. What you do throughout the week will feed your time here together. And today, that's what we're going to be talking about. We're actually going to be talking about the time that we spend um, together in public worshiping God. And this time can be very, very simple, but it can also be very, very deep. In fact, we're going to go to... Hebrews chapter 6, which has been kind of our our theme verse of the last couple weeks. And I just want to read it to you one more time. Here's what it says. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. 
See, solid food is for those who are mature. So let us, let's stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again, and let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. We're talking about different aspects of the Christian life, and there's some shallowness to that, and there's some real depth to that. And I think sometimes that has to do with how we worship. When you talk to a kid, most of the time we put on kids, kid gloves, don't we? Meaning that we want to kind of protect them and be really nice and sweet and try to get our point across without being rude or, or making them cry or uh, we get down on their level. And, and there are t- there's a time for that, but today is not that day, okay? Today is a time for us to actually just have a mature conversation. My desire is not to offend you, but instead it's to, to maybe redirect some of our understanding about worship and to encourage all of us. What we need to do is we need to talk about how we worship with music. See, the Bible says um, something really profound about, about how we worship and specifically talking about us. Here's what it says in Psalm 150. It says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Everything. Not just some things, but everybody in here has a, has a breath, right? You're taking a breath right now. Everything that has breath should praise the Lord. Now, our understanding sometimes, I think, is, is kind of shallow when it comes to, 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 um, to worship. We have maybe this elementary idea of what worship is. It's kind of like nursery rhymes. Y'all know some nursery rhymes, like Mary had a little lamb. Y'all can remember that growing up. It's just very basic. You're not into like deep, like rhythm and, um, and words in worship. You're just looking at some basic things like, you know, row, row, row your boat, right? Very, very simple. The reason they're simple is so that the little kids can remember them and understand them. And so what I want to do today is kind of talk about that a little bit, that there are some, maybe some surface level kinds of worship. We're going to call them nursery rhyme worship, nursery rhyme worship. And we have this basic misunderstanding, I think, of worship sometimes. And and let me give you three misunderstandings that kind of of help or kind of hurt our ability to, to worship, where our worship kind of stays on the surface level. The first one is this. The responsibility that a lot of us believe we have for corporate worship is just showing up, right? All I got to do is show up. Ooh, I'm here. I'm a little late. I got my coffee, right? Um, I think I'm at my shoes match. I'm here. I'm sitting here. I'm standing here. I'm in this space, and now I, am full, I have fulfilled all of my responsibility. Well, there is more responsibility than just that. Here's another one. I think that a lot of us look at the the win for worship. Like, what is the reward for worship? And for a lot of us, it's just finishing, right? Like finishing, like literally finishing the worship service. Man, I've been standing for 15 minutes. I got to have a seat, right? I'm done. I grab my stuff and I'm out of here. And you say, that's a win. Like the win is that I showed up and now I get to, to leave. I finished. But I also think that maybe the bigger one is that, that the way that we rank worship is off. Like if we were to leave this place and we uh, went over to the, the comment box, there's not a comment box, by the way, but uh, 
It's a trash can we have over there. So if, if you go to the comment box and, um, and you write, you know, like rank worship one to ten. Like you're going you're gonna, to go, oh, I think it's a, you're going you're to give it a, a score. And usually that score in our hearts, in our minds, may tell people that, may keep it to ourselves. But really it's all about our, our preference. How was worship for me? And you see, worship becomes preference-driven when you have a wrong pivot point. What I mean by that is that a lot of times our experience, how we judge good worship, bad worship, was it good or whatever, is based off of our own pivot point. It's all about me instead of it being about, about Jesus. And the truth is, is that you are not the pivot point of history. Jesus is the pivot point of history. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how your will, when it comes to prayer, your will must die. You remember that? We talked about your will. If you want deep prayer life, your will has to die. Well, the same thing goes with worship. Your preferences have to die when it comes to worship. Let me say that again. Your will has to die in prayer and your preferences have to die in worship. Because you are not the center of history nor of worship. Jesus is. And some might say, well, you know what, Clayton, I just like the hymns. That's just what I like. I like, I like those hymns. I think they're more, they're more reverent. Um, you know, and if, if, if the Baptist hymnal was good enough for Jesus, then it's good enough for me, right? Well, here's the truth. The Baptist hymnal wasn't written until 1904. Let me add this other one. Welch's grape juice was not invented till 1869. I'll just let that one sink in. If you know what I'm talking about, we'll move on. Okay. You can tell the person next to you later. Okay. Well, some of you might say, well, you know what, I, I, I love just the modern songs. That's just, that just gets me, right? It's just, it's more personal, it's more moving. Well, if that's all that worship is to you, you're missing so much. There's so much more to worship. You see, I think our preferences for worship are not based on what is good or bad, but actually it's, it's based more on when we were born. I mean, think about that. For over 2,000 years, people have been worshiping Jesus through song. And if you were born in a different generation or a different century, your jam would be a little bit different, right? It would not be what it is today. In fact, I want to take you on a journey and just show you what worship has been like over the centuries. Oh, well, I'm tired and so weary. 
way different, right? Anybody was like, hey, I'd go back to the 15th century. That was pretty good, right? I mean, it might have been. But I loved just the idea of looking at that and, and even listening to the songs that we sing today and talking about heaven and earth respond, these ancient songs and hymns coming together and a million songs that we're going to be singing and we have sung as believers. Here's the point. The world is, is too big. And, and different cultures, they're too diverse, and generations are too unique. And the gospel is way too powerful for us to judge worship just, just based on our own experience, right? It's more than just what we understand and what we know. And what I saw in this, this video is that each generation was worshiping God in their context, right? They were worshiping God with purpose. They were praising God, okay, You might not have been able to understand the words, but they were praising God. They were also building each other up. They were seeing that together and understanding and be able to to internalize those truths in their lives. But here's a, a big key for all of those different worship songs. They were sung in the language of the lost in that generation. In fact, the Bible talks about it in Psalm chapter 40. Um, Here's here's what it says in verse 3. It says that he has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. And many will see what he has done and be amazed, and they will put their trust in the Lord. I mean, I, I love that. What it's saying is that God has given every generation a new song to sing. Amen? I mean, if we were still singing like the third century back then, we would have some issues. You know what I'm saying? It's different today. We have, God has given us a new song. And the purpose of that new song, look what it says right there. It says that many will see what God has done, right? And they'll be amazed. And that they will, they will put their trust in him. They will turn towards him. How can the lost hear about Jesus unless we actually speak their language? And that's what was going on back then, and it's still going on today. And so no matter what your age is, no matter what your personal preferences are um, in worship, no matter what style you like uh, the more, no matter what tradition you grew up in, the real problem today in 2024 is to ask this question, how are we supposed to worship? In 2024, how are we supposed to worship? Let me just say this. We're a Baptist church, but there is no specific Baptist way um, to, to worship. Thank the Lord, right? But it's also not a buffet. Worship is not where we just go to the jukebox and put our quarter in and we get to pick the songs that we like and the songs that that we want to do. We don't get to do it that way. But it is a sweet experience, like a birthday cake. And the reason I know this is because it is something that you and I are going to be doing for the rest of our lives. If we're believers in Jesus, not just here on this earth, but for all eternity, we're going to be worshiping. The Bible says it in Revelation chapter 7. It says, after this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count. It says, here's who's here. People from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. And what were they doing? It says, and they were shouting with a great roar. They were saying, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. What were they doing here is they were worshiping God. It's something we're going to be doing for Eternity. It is our, our eternal practice. 
And if it is our eternal practice, then we should actually probably go a little bit deeper than just this nursery rhyme level of worship. What we got to do is we need to get to what I'm going to call today Grammy-level worship, okay? Songs that you see make it to the Grammys, artists that make it to the Grammys, they are top-notch. There's depth to that. Whatever genre that they are in, it is way different than just nursery rhymes, How do we get to a Grammy-level kind of worship? I'm not talking about sounding good. I'm talking about depth. How do we get to that? What we got to do is we got to go to the Bible. We got to listen to what it says. Look in Psalm 100. Here's what it says in Psalm 100. It says, shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness and come before him singing with joy. If you look at that, you know what I see in those, those ver- that, those verse, that verse right there and what's underlined? I see emotion. Don't you see emotion in that? Talking about joy and gladness, shout and sing those things to the Lord. There is emotion within worship. And there's a, a great understanding about a, like some depth for today. If you're taking notes, it'd be this. First is that music produces emotion. Doesn't it? Is that not just like, it's a basic understanding. Music produces emotion. Our, our brains are wired towards music. And music, it affects our brain differently than like a sermon does. They've done studies on the brain when it listens to music compared to just listening to someone speak. And there, there's all sorts of stuff firing off in our brains when we hear music. You see, God created us that way. He created us to express ourselves and to experience things on a deeper level than just speaking words. It's why the music industry is so big, right? You know, the music industry is a $30 billion a year um, industry. I'm not talking about Christian music. I'm just talking about music in general. Have you ever thought, why is that? Why is music so popular? Why is it even a thing? It's because God created us to be moved by it, right? Think about this. It is, it's love set to music. It's hope set to music. It's anger and despair set to music. It's sadness set to music. It's desire set to music. And when it comes to worship music, it's truth set to music. Which brings me to the the second depth level for today is that quality worship music is truth set to a song. You think about that? It's not about a certain beat. It's not about a certain style or certain instruments or no instruments. It's not about a hymn or a modern song. We shouldn't look at the style. What we should look at when, a worship, when we look at a worship song is we should look at the, the theology of it, right? We should look at what is it actually saying. And Jesus talks about this. He says this in John chapter 4. We talked about it last week. In John chapter 4, verse 24, he says we're supposed to worship in spirit and in what? And in truth. You see, truths from Scripture, and probably Scripture itself, at times, it should be poured into all parts of a song, right? Into the chorus, into the verses, into the bridge, into the stanzas. And here at Central, we, we try our best. In fact, that's, that's one of the Ryland's main goals um, leading us in worship music is for, for him to, to look at and choose songs that are not just trendy or popular but songs that actually speak truth, you know, that speak the gospel through song. 
And so if, if worship music is emotional, so we talked about how it's, it's an emotional thing. It affects our brain that way. God wired us that way. And so if worship is emotional and it's also truth, and you take those two things and you combine them, what should be the product of that for you specifically? Here's what the product should be. You should actually be into it. Amen? Think about that. If it's emotional, God created us that way. And it's also full of truth, talking about what Jesus has done for us. Like, we should be into it. You see, you and I are called to give ourselves in worship. That's what we're supposed to. That's what I mean by that. We're supposed to be into it. I don't understand, guys. I don't understand how people can come to church who confess Jesus that they, are, they say they were saved, and they just sit there like this, just waiting for it to be over. I don't get it. I mean, I know you got stuff going on in your life. Maybe you're not a good singer or whatever. But come on, guys. I mean, Jesus has saved you. And if, if you're just going to sit there like this and not respond to that, here's my question. Either you don't have Jesus in your life or you have ignored some of those truths. Like they have not internalized in your life. You're not realized just how sinful you are and just how much God has sacrificed for you. If we would get that, we would be moved to worship. I don't understand. And the Bible says that we're supposed to be moved with our, our physical selves. It's not something we have to do, but it's something that the Bible says it just naturally happens. All throughout Scripture, there's all these different places that talk about how to actually worship. One of them is, is with our, our voices. Psalm 95.1 says, Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Joyfully shouting and singing to God. We're supposed to do that with our voices. We're all supposed to respond with the rest of our bodies. I and mean, you might be kind of, uncomfortable with that, but I'm just reading what the Bible says, okay? The Bible says we're supposed to respond to God with the rest of our, our bodies, like, like kneeling before the Lord. Psalm 95, 6, a couple verses later says, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, in an attitude of humility and saying, God, thank you. It's worship. We're also supposed to clap our hands, right? The Bible says we're supposed to clap our hands. The Bible says we're supposed to, to raise our hands in an attitude of worship. Psalm 47.1 says, come, everyone, clap your hands, shout to God with joyful praise. 1 Timothy 2.8 says, in every place of worship, I want men, get this, to pray with holy hands lifted up to God. One of the reasons I think that a lot of churches have just kind of dead worship is because men are not being men. They're not leading in worship. That's something that a wife does, wife does and they just, they just show up like this. Grab onto that pew, right? I'm not letting go. We're commanded to worship God, not just silently, but publicly. Now, these aren't requirements. I mean, there's no specific posture for worship, but they are appropriate ways that you and I can worship. There's more than that. There's, the Bible talks about dancing. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to bring that up. <laughs> Baptist, right? The Bible talks about all these different ways that we can express ourselves. But let me just say this. Expressions of worship are actually expressions of your heart, aren't they? Your heart is the driving force behind worship. It's, your, it's talking about your inner self. It's talking about 
spiritual, it's a spiritual event that you and I are, are going through when we worship together. And when worship really comes from your heart, like when you're like, goodness, God, I, I just I recognize what you have done for me. I, I just can't help but, but express myself. When that really happens, when you're connected that way in your heart, what's going to happen is your body, which is connected to your heart, is going to express that. If you don't believe me, just go to a sporting event, right? When a touchdown happens and your team that you put all your heart into, you're, you're in it right in that moment. You don't sit there like this. No, you jump up and you just respond naturally, you know? Get your hands raised, you're clapping, you're high-fiving your buddies, you know? Why are you doing that? It's because your body's connected to your heart. And you're, 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 you're internalizing and believing in that moment. We do that at a stadium. We'll do that off the couch. We'll jump up and clap and be excited. And we're doing that to a, a screen. How weird is that? But we do that because we're connected that way. Now, here's the deal. There's some pitfalls when it comes to worship, when it comes to how we express ourselves. I need to kind of address some of those things. You see, sometimes we can fake it, can't we? We can fake worship. We can show up. We're like, everybody's watching me. I'm going to pretend like I am worshiping. Anybody guilty of that? Everybody should raise your hand, right? We've all done that where we're like, I've got to put on a front, um, people next to me, um, or there's someone right in front of me, and if I don't, they don't, can't hear me singing, you know, they're going to be like, what is wrong with that guy, right? And so you're, you're, you're down the front, and you're like, i I gotta, I got to put up a front. And so you're trying to worship, and you know what you're thinking about? Everybody around you, right? We can fake it in worship. And the solution is this, to recognize that it is an emotional experience, but we should not be driven by the drums, okay? We should not be driven by the guitar. We should be driven by the truth that's up on the screen. And so if you're ever faking it, just pause and start singing and reading the words. And see what it says about Jesus and what he's done for us. And when that happens, it begins to recenter your heart to where you're not faking it anymore. You're like, oh my goodness, that's what it's saying. I believe that. Here's another pitfall. We can actually overexpress ourselves. I mean, some people really get into worship. You go all sorts of faith traditions, they'll, they'll start going all over the place. I mean, they're up on the stage, they're running around. I mean, it's, it's kind of chaotic. And the truth is, is that God is not a God of chaos. There is some order to worship. And the reason there's order to worship is because you are not alone in the room. There's other people in the room. And so if you are moved to just overexpress yourselves and who cares whatever, what it, what's going on with anybody else or how they, what they think about that, I think we need to approach that with some humility and recognize that there are other people. We got to remember other people that it might be a distraction to them worshiping. So you can, you know, go too far the other way. But here's another pitfall that some, some of us just don't, we don't feel like it. You know, you say, well, Clayton, I believe you. I get it. Worship's, uh, music's emotional. Worship's about truth mixed with emotion. That's just not me. Like, I just don't, I just don't feel it. What am I supposed to do? Well, here's the solution. It's called a sacrifice of praise. Have you ever heard that phrase, a sacrifice of praise? 
It's actually found in Hebrews chapter 13. It says this, that through Jesus, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. What it's talking about with the, the fruit of of your lips, talking about that outward expression that we've already talked about. That's what we're supposed to do. Sometimes when we're not feeling it, we've got to sacrifice a little bit for the Lord and say, you know what? I don't want to sing, but I'm going to sing because it is a, a sacrificial way for me to worship. Also, I see in here that it's also supposed to be Jesus-focused. There's, it's all about Jesus. It's not about what you have done. It talks about at the very beginning. It's talking about what Jesus has done for us. We should offer a sacrifice of praise. I remember Francis Chan, a famous preacher. One time he was uh, in church and he, he got down after the worship service and this lady in his church approached him and said, uh, Pastor, I just wanted to let you know that, you know, I just got to do this before I leave, that I didn't like worship today. It just wasn't any good. And he looked at her and said, well, good, because we weren't worshiping you, right? We weren't worshiping you. And that is so true. Sometimes it's all about us. And if you are going to, if you don't feel it, maybe you need to take a, a, a gut check and say, is it about me? Or is it about Jesus? And if it's about Jesus, maybe I need to sacrifice myself a little bit, even if I'm not feeling it, and still worship him. You see, that's biblical obedience, the sacrifice of praise. In fact, I would say it's unbiblical, and it's probably even, it's wrong to only worship when we feel like it, you know? I would say that's unbiblical and wrong to not worship at all. We're called to worship. Now, here's the truth. Talking about expressing ourselves or worshiping we don't want to, that may feel kind of weird. And usually it's because you're not doing it personally throughout the week. If you aren't worshiping God and expressing yourself throughout the week, it's going to be really hard to come into a place like this and do it in front of other people. Which brings me to the, the last, the fourth depth statement for worship. And it's this, that the church is a community. It's a community of worshipers. It is what we do. We are called to worship God together. Not alone, not just by ourselves, but we're supposed to come together and worship. That's what Colossians chapter 3 verse 16 says. It says this, let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. What was going on here is that Paul was addressing some issues in their church. They were, they were having a problem with unity. And Paul is, in a way, writing throughout that, that whole chapter of 13. He said, hey, guys, if you're struggling with unity as a church, here's what you need to do. Start singing together. Just start singing together. You see, Paul understood a great principle of the church, that a church that worships together stays together. When they come together, Singing together, what it does is it unites us. It unites us where we're not just a bunch of individuals, but we're coming together when it's not about myself, but it's about Jesus now. It's not about myself, it's about other people. And it's an opportunity for all of us to encourage one another. Can I share with you the most discouraging thing about coming to a worship service sometimes? It's when you feel all alone. Like you're trying to worship, and you look around, and no one else is. 
That's tough, right? Because we are a community of worshipers supposed to come together. And it's a way that we actually encourage one another. Sometimes even when we don't feel like it. And so worship at Central, it's not a show. You're not putting on a show for people. But I will say this. It is a showing. What you're doing is you're showing God just how much you're thankful for him. And you're actually showing other people what it looks like to worship. You're encouraging them. So if you're just like, hey, Clayton, I don't know what, I don't know what next step to take. I don't know what to do. Well, I think maybe you need to take a, have a heart check moment. I want to help you understand how to get your mojo back. You want to get your mojo back? Maybe you remember a time when worship was sweet and now it's just kind of boring and stale. How do you get your mojo back? What you need to do is you need to go to the Lord. In fact, I want to give you a great example of that with, with David, King David. He was at a moment where he was worshiping God. He was following after God, and then he fell. And all of a sudden, his relationship with God was, was split. And then he writes Psalm 51. Look what it says. I just got a couple of different verses here. It says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Oh, give me back my joy again. You've broken me. Now let me rejoice. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Restore, restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. He says, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. If you're not into it, you need to go to the Lord. You need to just come to him broken. And realize, God, you've done this for me. You saved me. You sacrificed for me. Maybe I've forgotten that and I need to, I need to remember. Maybe I've tried to do things my own way. And I'm just coming back to you saying, God, restore that in my life. That's what David had to do. And he wrote it down for all of us as an example for us to follow. We want to worship God again and come back to him again. You see, immature worship, shallow worship, nursery rhyme kind of worship is it's very routine. It's, it's about tradition. And this is how we've always done it. It's about what makes me comfortable. And what it produces a lot of times is this kind of joyless, going through the motions kind of worship. That it, and in times can actually be probably pretty narrow-minded. But mature worship, Grammy-level depth of worship. It's all about Jesus. It's not about us. It's not about my preferences or my wants or my desires. It is about worshiping him biblically, the way the Bible teaches us to. It's about having joy and bringing in the, that emotion and that truth and saying, God, I cannot believe what you've done for me. I can't help but worship you. It's all about freedom of worship. There's so many different ways we can worship. And all those things collide together in this perfect harmony of deep, mature worship. And what happens, the, the, the product of that is sweetness. Worship becomes sweet, and it's a gift for us. So here's what I want to do. If you re, if you, I don't know if you realize this, but we only sing a couple songs. Some of you guys will be like, hey, this is not a part of the order of service. This is how we, all, we always do a little different right here, right? What is going on? So today... We wanted to give you a chance to express yourself, to worship God, to maybe sing. If you're not a singer, maybe to sing. 
Look, here's the truth. We're all terrible singers, okay? We're all terrible. Get over yourself. There's been times where I've left this mic on and I've been down there just singing. Y'all didn't realize, but it made it onto the live stream. Woo, it was bad. Should I care? No. That's me worshiping God. We shouldn't care what we sound like. We should care who we're singing to, right? Maybe it's an opportunity for you to bow down. Maybe you are, need to do that in your heart. Maybe you need to physically bow down in an attitude of, of praise. Maybe it's a chance for you to, to lift up your hands. You'd be like, that's just not me. I just don't do that. Me and God, we've worked out this agreement. I just, I just sit there. Like, that's what I do in worship. He understands. No. We should be moved because of what he has done. I mean, if that's the least amount of worship we can do, he deserves that, right? I mean, think about that. Why do we raise our hands in worship? It's because you are surrendering to God, your will, your desires, saying, I am all yours, God. But also out of desperation saying, God, I need you more. I can't do this on my own. I don't care what other people are thinking around me. It's between you and me. I am worshiping you right now. It's biblical. God calls us to do that, to clap, to bow down. We should not stifle that emotion and that passion. It should not just churn in our hearts. It should be expressed. It's our way of our whole selves worshiping God and also our way of encouraging other people around you. I want to encourage you to get out of your comfort zone. I want to encourage you to respond to God in a way that honors him. And we can do this together. And what happens is it unifies, it unifies us and it encourages each other. So don't extinguish that passion. Maybe if you are, that's just not you, maybe just the tapping of your toe. Let's go. Like something where you can express to God what he has done for you. It's not boring. We are telling the world and each other what God has done for us. In so many places in God's word, it says we are supposed to, to sing with joy to God for what he has done. And we should tell other people through that singing so that they may come to him. I want to give us a chance to do that right now. Let me pray for us. And the band's going to come back out. And we're going to have an opportunity to respond. Maybe like we never have before. Let's pray. God, you're good. And you're holy. And you are worthy of our praise. Nothing else is worthy of our praise. I confess right now that for some of us, I, can, I confess on behalf of every single one of us, God. Who am I kidding? We all have come to worship with the wrong motives. Where it's been about our preferences, it's been about how we look, what we, how we sound towards other people. God, help us to refocus what's most important. You are most important. Thank you for the gift of music where we can express ourselves more than just, more than just speech. And thank you for worship music that brings truth to those songs. 
That right there should cause us to respond through singing, through a physical expression of just how grateful we are. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here right now, anyone watching online who's never experienced that relationship with Jesus, they don't know how to worship him because they, they don't have him in their lives. I pray that today might be the day of their salvation. They would turn from their sins. They would repent and ask Jesus to come into their life and save them from their sins. Jesus who died on the cross for them and for everyone. May they then be able to worship you in spirit and truth for the first time. God, help us to respond right now. Nothing is more important than this moment. You're worthy. You're worthy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.